The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Canadian defense spending and Canadian defense prioritizing is not new. But a scoop this weekend uh, from our own Mercedes Stevenson uh, about the U.S. ramping up pressure on Canada to meet its NATO spending obligations. Uh, an official diplomatic letter criticizing Ottawa's military spending has been received by the Canadian government. More in this report uh, from Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson. Sources say in an unusual move, the U.S. Embassy delivered an official diplomatic letter to Ottawa, described by one source as a blunt criticism of the Trudeau government's commitment to defense spending and calling on Ottawa to meet NATO spending targets. Former Defense Minister Peter McKay says the letter is a sign of serious frustration. Diplomatic slap, not on the wrist, but in the face. Sending it to Marsh is um, is really ratcheting it up a notch. You know, the next step is you call the ambassador in and give him a tongue lashing. Multiple sources say the Americans are sick of Canada's lack of military spending and that frustration has been building in recent months. It's been repeatedly communicated, those sources say, to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government in public and behind the scenes. Of particular concern, Canada's inability to defend the Arctic amid increasing Russian and Chinese presence. President Trump has often demanded NATO members increase their spending. They all made commitments, uh, and they will be up to 2%. In 2014, Canada pledged to spend 2% of GDP on defense, the target for all NATO members. We committed in the declaration yesterday to uh, the Wales uh, agreement, uh, which uh, moves us towards 2%. But so far, that's nowhere in sight. Canada is not on a path to live up to the commitments that we um, were signing up for. Canada currently spends 1.27% of GDP. That's scheduled to rise to 1.4% in 2026. But beyond that, internal documents leaked to Global News show a dramatic drop in spending again. Canada currently ranks sixth in NATO. Asked about the letter on the West Bloc, Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan defended his government's record, saying they've increased defence spending and have troops deployed all over the world. We have had the largest presence in Europe since the end of the Cold War. We're leading a battle group in Latvia, we're leading a naval task force in the Mediterranean, and now for the second year in a row, we're also leading the NATO training mission. On Saturday, U.S. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien was in Halifax, where he said that Canada needs to be in a position to defend itself and defend its values. All right, that from uh, Mercedes Stevenson, Ottawa uh, Bureau Chief for Global News. So a lot of frustration on the American side. Joining us to talk a bit more about all of this is Dave Perry, Vice President with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, CGAI.ca. Uh, Dave, thank you for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's talk about those those NATO targets first of all. So the two percent of GDP figure. What? Why is that the agreed upon target? Well, it's so it's important to keep in mind that it's one of a couple of different targets, um, both financial and and otherwise. Um, so in terms of the the just the straight money, there's actually two spending targets. One's the two percent of GDP, uh, and the other is that we uh, all the members would also commit to spending twenty percent of whatever we are actually spending on to get to that two percent of GDP to go to equipment investment and related research and development. And then there's some other commitments about making contributions and investing in capability. But the importance of the two percent 
percent target, I think, is that it's a relatively sim- simple and easy way, um, which kind of implicitly makes it imperfect. Um, but it's a relatively simple and imp- uh, easy way to get a sense of what each ally is doing and how much they're investing in the types of things that lead to military capacity and capability in a way that uh, tries to adjust for the fact that the members of the NATO alliance um, have huge asymmetries in terms of their size and their national wealth. So by expressing it as a function of the economy, you can try and um, compensate for the fact that you've got some members that have very, very small economies in Eastern Europe, as an example. Mm. And then on the one hand, you've got the United States, which if you were to just do a straight dollar comparison, it'd be extraordinarily difficult to get any kind of sense of relative effort. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense at some level, right? Obviously, we're talking about a lot of different countries that are a part of NATO. But but even within that, I mean, it it doesn't really tell us the whole story, does it, of of how that money is being spent or how committed those, those countries are to NATO and NATO missions? Is that fair? No, that's absolutely fair. So a couple things that you get is you get distortions where you have um, countries that are wealthy that are, may spend a lot. And so Canada is firmly in this camp. We are the sixth largest spender in the alliance in terms of absolute dollars expressed in, in constant U.S. dollars. Uh, but if you express that as a share of our economy, we're at the back of the pack for the ninth worst, um, in large part because we have a much more significant um, GDP than several of the members uh, of the that they're in that uh, grouping. So Latvia, as an example, um, they express uh, their share of GDP going to defense is a significant portion. They're basically over 2%. Their economy, though, is, is tiny compared to Canada's. So that, that has a, a relative effect of, of, of washing this out. In terms of the other types of commitments, you know, and I think Canada has a lot of legitimacy in making arguments that what the alliance should ultimately be interested in is making actual contributions to common defense. So we put troops, uh, as we have right now, into Eastern Europe to defend the eastern part of um, the NATO alliance um, that doesn't directly connect to Canada's security in any kind of immediate sense. We have people doing training operations uh, in the Middle East. We have ships at sea. We have we commit planes to do air policing. We do lots of different things. We take on leadership positions. And the Canadian argument is that all of that should count. I think the, the fundamental rebuttal on this is that ultimately, if you aren't spending enough, it makes it very, very difficult to have the kind of forces in hand to be able to make those contributions over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the fact that the U.S. has, has sent this, this letter, apparently, to, to the Canadian government, and certainly those frustrations have been voiced in the past, I mean, is, is Canada being singled out uh, amongst NATO members, or does this also speak to the very significant bilateral defense relationship we have with the U.S.? It's tough to tell whether or not there is, uh, you know, a specific singling out of Canada versus some of the other Europeans. You know, these types of uh, demarches that Mercedes was talking about aren't really the type of thing that tends to um, be made public in any kind of coherent and systematic fashion. So it's a little bit tough to, to comment on that part. In terms of the uh, the difference for Canada and the North American context, I think I think that is something that uh, Canadians need to be cognizant of, and I think that that was expressed a little bit uh, over this weekend at the Halifax. Uh, International Security Forum. For uh, the United States, Canada, depending on whether or not you're in Alaska or the, or the lower 48, is either the northern or the eastern um, frontier for the defense of North America. And in the current context right now, um, as the U.S. National Security Advisor uh, was highlighting, we have a lot of real estate that's pretty sparsely defended right now. Um, the commander of NORAD Northcom was also in Halifax over the weekend pointing out that the threat dynamic has changed quite significantly and that there is this really meaningful and, and real need 
to make some substantial investments in the defense of North America. And because of our geography, um, interposing uh, most of the United States against those those uh, likely threats from either Russia right now or some of the other states that have uh, missiles that could reach the United States or even China, we are in the middle uh, of those likely threats as they're approaching the United States. And we have committed for multiple decades, going back to the 1930s, to be an integral part of North American defense. And I think that the Americans are increasingly uh, expressing uh, the view that they would like to ensure that we are actually making real contributions to ensure that that remains the case. In terms of where defense spending is at, I think it's uh, just under $23 billion Canada spent last year. The government says it has plans to increase that. Uh, has, has spending increased up until now? And uh, is it realistic that we're going to be closer to where our allies would like us to be in the years ahead? So it has increased in a real sense since the government uh, published its strong, secure, engaged uh, document in, in 2017. So it's up, uh, you know, a couple billion dollars in nominal terms, and which gives you a, a few uh, percentage points increase when you account for inflation. Um, so in terms of the, the overall trajectory of where the government's delivering at the high-level numbers, it's on pace relative to what they said um, they were going to do in um, strong, secure, engaged in the summer of 2017. I think the the concern that uh, if you were sitting in Washington, you would probably have is that if you if you drill into where those spending plans uh, were supposed to take Canada, the bulk of the money that was going to go into that was tied up into a bunch of procurement uh, equipment investments, so new fighter jets, um, new ships for the Navy, and while those pros are, all those projects uh, of which there are dozens are moving forward, they're doing they're moving forward a lot slower than was originally intended and strong, secure, engaged, and I don't see a path to us even achieving the actual um, spending targets that were outlined in the, the policy, strong, secure, engaged, unless we catch back up on some of that procurement spending, and right now we're not seeing that. So in terms of, you know, the trajectory is going in the right direction, but the real um, big muscle movements that are going to come with that uh, rely on us getting those projects um, into contract and getting that money out the door to buy new capability. And then the other big thing, and I think this ties back into the previous comment about the defense of North America, there was a big IOU um, from the government with the Department of National Defense for Strong Security engaged. And that was a recommitment to investing in modernized North American defense infrastructure. And to this point in time, we haven't actually seen a commitment from the government to actually start moving to deliver on that. Are there consequences, Dave, in, in not addressing this? And we, we sort of take that American relationship for granted, I think. But if, if Americans come to see us as an unreliable partner, what, what are the consequences of that? Under this current U.S. administration, I think um, at this point we don't totally know what the consequences are. President Trump uh, has been far more transactional in his approach, dealing with a lot of allies, and I think Canada now uh, falls into that basket. Um, He's increasingly looking to do tit-for-tat responses and, and to uh, impose linkage between issues that were previously unlinked, unlinked in, the, in the way that Canada uh, engaged in bilateral relations with the United States. So I, I don't know that we totally know what the implications are, but I think that the important thing is, and from an uh, American relations standpoint, is uh, the other thing that came across very clearly in, in Halifax this weekend was that this is not just a President Trump phenomenon, although the way he deals with it specifically may differ. It's a binational or bipartisan commitment in the United States right now to want to see it all of the United States allies live up to commitments they've made. Uh, and while there are other elements that go into expressing how much of a, a partner and an ally we are with NATO, the Americans are quite fixated on the actual expenditure of money. 
And so we can expect to see increasing uh, attention on this, no matter who wins the next election. But certainly under the current administration, I think uh, we can expect that there could well be some real-world consequences in a, in a relational aspect if we don't meet the spending targets. Longer term, if we don't make the investments, if increase the level of uh, expenditure, both as the government intended and then go beyond that with some investments in uh, North American defense, uh, we're going to not have the, the right kind of military equipment and people and capability and readiness levels to be able to actually meet uh, a a pretty significantly changing strategic environment uh, where a lot of the kind of status quo security arrangements that Canada has relied on in the past are under a lot of revision at the moment. Right. So it's not just about appeasing the Americans, though. I mean, this is about our, our own security interests, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's the, what we spend goes towards Canadian defense, and we can make national decisions about how we use our own investments to then make further contributions in Europe through NATO or other organizations or in the Pacific. But the, the basic bottom line is if you don't actually spend the money on the things that, and, and articulate where you want it, what those uh, expenditures are supposed to go to and what you want to get out of them, uh, if you don't do that in a coherent fashion, but importantly put in the cash up front, uh, then you've got limited options and you won't have as much capacity down the road as you would if you did spend the money in the first place. Right. And again, I mean, we're, we're in a real fortunate position, aren't we, that we have this relationship with, with the United States, that we have this defense cooperation. Uh, there, there's a lot of value in that, isn't there? There absolutely is. And so, you know, another uh, consideration for Canada as we're looking ahead at, at modernizing the defense infrastructure around North America. In the past, previous American uh, administrations um, have engaged in most of those big initiatives with Canada on a cooperative basis and, and engaged in a, uh, different funding sharing models where the Americans have effectively picked up a bigger uh, portion of the tab, even for infrastructure built in Canada, uh, which was oriented as much about the defense of Canada as it was about the defense of the United States south of us. Um, I think it's an interesting question to ask as we look to engage in another round of this, whether or not the Americans, um, both in the uh, Trump administration specifically, but also in the, in the wider Senate and Congress across both aisles, would be as amenable to picking up the lion's share of those new investments and a replacement for the North Warning System and enhanced NORAD infrastructure as they were in the past if they don't think that we are pulling our fair share financially. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Dave, some great insight. Thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. Right, there you go. That's uh, Dave Perry, Vice President at the uh, Canadian Global Affairs Institute. So some interesting thoughts on where Canada's at in terms of supporting our own military, but also making sure we're supporting those important alliances. All right, quick time out here. It's Rob Breckenridge sitting in this afternoon for Jalen Nye. You're listening to 630 Chat.